So let me introduce some of the team. So up the back is Andrew. Everyone turn around and say hi, Andrew. Andrew's a dead set legend, scientific genius, IQ of about 148, wasn't it? Did I get that right? Yeah. Um, All-round legend, part of the Madawi leadership team. And then we have Brian and Helen. These two, everyone say hi, Brian and Helen. That's you guys, yeah. <laughs> These two have been uh, just... How, how can I explain, Brian and Helen, just such amazing mums and dads for the house up at Overflow Madawi. And I've had the ridiculous pleasure of being involved with these guys in varying ways over the last six or seven years, I think it's been, that we've been hanging out. Way more than that? Maybe it's been more than that. Eight years, nine, it's been a long time. I know, I know, so much that these guys just feel like part of our extended family. Um, Brian and Helen are just such amazing mums and dads of the house. If Brian comes up to you and says, hey, I've got something from God for you, it will do you well to listen Um, because he has a really, really significant prophetic voice. Are we going to let you loose at any point? Do we know? Yeah, is that part of the plan? It is, uh, yeah, yeah. Something will happen. Just know that you're very, very welcome to do your thing. Um, just, just trust me on that one, okay? Um, Chris and Grant. So this is Grant over here. Everyone say, hi, Grant. Hi, Grant. Not you, this one. Yeah, yeah, this one. Grant is an amazing guy, bikey extraordinaire. You recently came off it, though, didn't you, for the first time in, not, in a long time? But we can't talk about that. <laughs> Grant is an amazing, amazing dude and just such, um, such a deep-hearted man of God. And Chris, who he's married to, is the senior leader at Overflow Church at Madawi. Um, she is completely crazy, incredibly wise, deep, funny, profound, insightful, and a whole lot more. And we've been busting for ages to get her to come and speak to us and get you to meet her. Um, Chris and Grant are part of the Heart Revolution Network that we're with Phil and Maria Mason and Brad and Lisa and Gary and Deb and, and other people as well. And Tim and Deb, yeah, us, yeah. Um, and um, she is just a very, very dear friend and we can't wait for you to unload on us. So let's give Chris a rousing applause as she comes. Oh, thank you. Rouse Hill Probus. Okay, well, Jesus, bless Rouse Hill Probus. When they meet in this room, may they never be the same. Well, thanks, Tim and Deb. It is a real privilege to be here, and thank you, I-61. It does feel like family. feels super, super welcoming. And I just want to say uh, we are really blessed by our friendship with Tim and Deb and a few others who will um, remain (laughs) nameless. (laughs) Um, just really, no, the frosts actually, I'll name them. <laughs> um, just really, really blessed. And I, want, I, I don't know if you know how blessed you are to have these guys leading you. Um, yeah, but they, 
they're, they're just really, really special and uh, I love their heart and they recently came and spent a couple of days with us at our leaders retreat, imported some absolutely brilliant uh, material, but not just what they bring, but who they are, just blessed us amazingly. So I want to say to you as a church family, look after them, love them, spoil them, be generous with them because you are really privileged to have them lead you. Yeah. And guys, I had a word this morning given to me. And while I was sitting here, I felt like God said to pass it on to you. So I'm going to. And um, it, was, it was fairly simple, but it was... Um, we, we spent time thinking about humility and honour and the link between those today. Uh, one of our beautiful young men preached about that um, from, well, from Philippians and, and from a couple of other places. But after the service, a lady came up to me and she said um, that God has um, seen you in a season of humility and it's been a long season and I feel like God's seen you in a season of humility. And she said, there's not a season of honour coming. There's actually an era of honour coming. And I feel to pass that on to you because when God lays that foundation of humility, which I believe he has and you've embraced it, even though it's often been painful and there's often been... Yeah, some really difficult things that go with that. But I just feel like there is an era of honour that he is wanting um, to transition you into. And I just want to release that over you. Can we bless them with that? So, Father, we do. We declare for Tim and Deb an era of honour and the grace to carry that honour in a way that blesses your people and brings even further honour to your name. And we ask that in Jesus' name. <coughs> Amen. Love you guys. Yeah. Ah. Well, I had a little bit of an um, argument with Jesus about this message, <laughs> which is not usually a good thing to do, but anyway... Um, I did, and then sitting here, I kind of felt like, oh, you were right after all, God. <laughs> okay. So it seemed like a really simple message, and I was saying, well, God, they'll know that stuff. Like, But, you know, there's always more. There's always more. And I felt like there's two aspects of the more of this really simple message today. And one is an individual. There's, there's always more. There's always more that he wants to take us into. There's always depth that he wants to reveal to, to us. And I feel like there's also a corporate thing. So for whatever, um, whatever this comes to you individually, I feel like, and I want to feel like we're meant to minister into this with the team afterwards, but there's a corporate, there's a corporate invitation for you as a group of people today to step into something that I believe is really quite significant. So let's see where we go. Okay, so 
Who gets you? Out of all the people in the world, who would you say gets you? Help me out here. Just call out, you know. Helen, Helen your wife. Yep. A wife, a husband. That's a good thing. Has anyone got anyone else in their life apart from your sibling? They really get you. The cat. <laughs> there are some personality symbols. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> Couple of special friends. Yeah. Your mum. Wow. Okay. Cool. Um, there's something really, really amazing about having our hearts known, being really deeply, deeply known. And I felt like the message that I was meant to bring you this morning, this morning, oh gosh, this afternoon, I'm too used to preaching in the morning, um, was, was really an invitation, a fresh invitation to let your hearts be known and your hearts be, be opened and refreshed. So if you're up for that, Jesus, we welcome you to do a fresh depth. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. We give you permission to take us into the more. Yeah. Uh, I felt to um, spend some time in John chapter 10. And uh, it's a message about the shepherd, but I felt like um, even though in John chapter 10, Jesus is talking um, to his disciples, which is not strictly speaking exactly us, the, the Jews of many years ago, but we are his disciples, so I think we can sort of slide into that. And, uh, and I felt like he wanted to do it, not there is a shepherd or Jesus is our shepherd, but the I, I am your shepherd. I, he, he wants to make this really, really personal. So, just three thoughts from John chapter 10. If you have your Bibles, you might want to look. I've got some of the verses. I've got some excerpts of the verses um, up. But um, the first one is, I deeply know you. I, Jesus is saying to you, I deeply know you. I noticed this. The gatekeeper opens the gate for Jesus, the shepherd, and the sheep listen to his voice. Look at this. He calls his own sheep by name. It's really personal, isn't it? I know you. He has a name for you. I know you. And then look at this. This is amazing. I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep. This is verse 14. And my sheep know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. How incredible that our invitation is to be known by Jesus and to know him as deeply as Jesus and the Father know each other. 
This is just so, so stunning. He calls his sheep by name. He leads them out. He goes ahead of them. And he knows them like the Father knows him and he knows the Father. What does it mean to be known? It means to be paid attention to. Anyone here was the last child in the family? Okay, there's something special about being the last child in the family. You know, your siblings think that you got everything. <laughs> and the, the, the reality was that everything else was going on around you and, you know, nobody had time for you and there's hardly any photos of you in the family album because they were busy taking all the photos of all the other people. And, yeah, and yeah, so... You know, there was nobody there to pay you attention. That could have something to do with <laughs> something deep and meaningful. But anyway, look at me, look at me. No. <laughs> um, he pays attention to us. Jesus said the hairs on our head are numbered. It's so personal. Psalm 139, before a word is on our lips, he knows it all together. You know, the number of his thoughts towards us outnumber the sand on the seashore. You know, those are the, those are the, just take it in, take it in again and realise how deeply he knows you. He says, I know you deeply. I understand your hopes, your dreams your desires. I see your failings, your fears, the hidden and the obvious. I know it. He is willing to be known like this and he also wants to know us like this. He's not remote. He's intimate. And he's given each of us the value of his deepest attention and affection. There's something so freeing about being known and still being loved. I was sitting here earlier uh, feeling a little bit hungry. I was sort of half skipped lunch and grabbed a bit on the way. And I was sitting here during worship thinking, oh, I wonder what's for tea. And, and then this accusation came and, and said, you shouldn't be thinking that. You know, this is, this is a holy time. You should be worshipping. And I just, it just made me laugh because I thought, you know, Jesus already knew that I was going to be thinking about tea. You know? And there's, there's no condemnation. There's, it's like it's so freeing to be known. And he, he'd, he'd already worked it out. And, you know... He doesn't love me any less because I was, had a moment of wondering what tea was going to be like. It's going to be awesome. Oh, phew. Uh, but, you know, that's, that's the freedom of knowing that we don't walk or live um, having to hide stuff from him because he already knows and it hasn't changed uh, how he feels about us, which is actually where we're going next. Not only is he saying... I deeply know you. He's saying, I completely, completely love you. <sighs> it's one thing uh, to believe that someone might love us. 
if they didn't know too much about us. But how do we think about being loved when we're deeply, deeply known? When the very worst of us is known, all those habits that you just die if anybody saw, you know? What if they completely knew me? Well, there is somebody who completely knows you and loves you. We're known for who we are, warts and all, and we're still loved. It is such freedom. Because actually it's not about you or me or our performance, our deserving, or our, um, yeah, our, our getting it. Because the love that the shepherd has for you is never about our performance or our deservingness. It's actually about him and his choice to love and lay down his life for us. Here's just a few thoughts around that. How, how do we know what love is? Not that we loved him, but that he loved us. Here it is here. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand isn't the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep. When he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. It says a little later, he cares nothing for the sheep. But the reason the father loves the shepherd is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. It's willingly given. And scripture says that greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for one's friend. There is no other way he can show you his love as greatly as laying down his life. There is nothing more he can do to demonstrate his love uh, that, that was not demonstrated in that action of laying down his life. And that's for a friend, but then what about this? This is for an enemy. Um, yep, just at the right time. This is Paul in Romans when we're still powerless. Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's actually about him, his choice to love, his choice to lay down his life. He cannot love you more than he does. There is so much freedom in being loved apart from our performance. I, it only took me maybe 35 years to learn that. I think like many people, I grew up performing for love. Being a good girl, doing the right thing, being a good Christian, academic performance, you name it. They were all the things that earned, earned me love, earned my parents' love. That's not true, but that's just what I believed. Earned my God's love. And in the kindness um, that God put into my life, he, um, he brought me to a place where I, I ran out of performance. I just got exhausted and couldn't do it anymore. And I could see people around me who could love in ways that I could never love. And so that made me feel guilty and more condemned. And so then, you know what I did? I did more and I tried harder. And I fasted and I prayed because I really had to get God to love me. 
I so, I'm so grateful that he didn't play ball with that game. I am infinitely grateful. Because if he had demonstrated his love to me while I was performing for it, I would always have had to perform for it. And so he waited until I was a broken, broken Christian about to give up on my faith. And I told him, I can't do this anymore. And it was like he said, oh, phew, I've been waiting for this. And not long after that, I, I just remember sitting in my lounge room. It was not a hypey thing. It was, it was just a sitting in my lounge room reading the first chapter of Ephesians. And in that chapter it says, He chose us before the foundation of the world. In love, he predestined us to be um, adopted as his children. I was like, oh, I hadn't done anything before the foundation of the world. <laughs> I hadn't performed, I hadn't been good before the foundation of the world. He just loved me. And it was this absolute aha moment of dawning. He just loves me because he loves me. Not because I've deserved it or earned it or performed for it or... And the relief and the release was so life-giving. He just loves you because of who he is. And there is just something that, there's a depth that he wants to take us into because that sort of love is supernatural. That sort of love is an invitation to discover how amazing it is to be loved by God who loves like that. Paul said it like this in um, Ephesians 3, to discover how wide and high and long and deep is the love of God, although you can never discover it. <laughs> you can never find its reaches. But that's what he's inviting us into because he loves us completely. I want you to take a moment and just breathe it in. Allow his love to touch your heart again. Allow your soul to feel the truth of it. I am loved. I'm loved. I'm just loved. Jesus, would you take us into wider, longer, higher, deeper revelations of the sort of love that you have for us so that we in turn can give that love away. You doing okay? Just... Yeah, he's precious. The last thought I wanted to share is um, not very good English, but anyway, you're allowed to do that when you're the preacher. Um, And it's from um, the same chapter from verses 25 to 29, and it's uh, 
It's the words that Jesus wants to speak over you as well. And I feel like he wants to say, I absolutely secure you. I absolutely secure you. He was speaking to the Pharisees and he said, the works I do in my Father's name testify about me, the miracles, the things that Jesus was doing, but you do not believe because you're not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. Can you just feel the security that the Father wants you to live in, knowing that that's true, believing it? There's an invitation to believe that it, that's really how it is. I'll give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. First of all, there's the security of eternal life. Death has no sting, Paul wrote. Uh, that first song we sang, Death is Defeated, for the King is Alive. Uh, we had one of our elderly gentlemen pass away yesterday. I, um, I'd said he's my favourite octogenarian in our church family. Came to live with his family, uh, didn't have any Christian background, came to church had an amazing encounter with the healing grace of God, uh, was healed from Alzheimer's probably 10 years ago, came to faith, loved to worship and praise God. Um, we'll say goodbye to him this week. But death, it's just a promotion. Yes, there's sadness. Yes, there's grief and loss. But there's glory. It's so good to know uh, that... Uh, you know, I will give them eternal life. Yes, this life matters, but there's an eternity that matters a whole lot more. Death has no sting. The security of knowing that whether we live long or short, uh, we've been given eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. The security of our, our, our identity uh, of being known and loved for who we are, of not having to compare ourselves to others to get our value. You know, for years I, I've passed the Anglican Church. This is, you know, true confessions of a <laughs> of a pastor. Um, on my way home, I drive past our our local Anglican Church all the time. And, you know, sometimes there's a few cars in the car park on a Sunday and sometimes there's more cars in the car park. Do you know, for a lot of years, I would feel like, good, there's not many cars there. Can you believe that? Because somehow I needed to have the security of them not doing well to make us, me feel okay. Like, how, how sad is that? And these are my brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm so blessed. We now meet together. Um, the local pastors, we pray for each other and we pray blessing on, on our communities. Because comparison is such a robber of, of everything that um, it, it robs us of our identity, of our uh, security, 
of our peace uh, and it robs us of being able to celebrate and honour and enjoy the success of others. Um, I love that in the security of the shepherd, we can actually say goodbye to comparison and, and the insecurity that goes with that. We can have the security of being dearly loved children. Haha, <laughs> I've just spent a few days with my grandchildren. And um, it's interesting because you love them and sometimes you want to smack them. Um, the blessing of being... We can actually have the security of letting ourselves be corrected by God. Do you know that's... The scripture says God disciplines those he loves. And children... I'm not, this is not a reflection on my grandchildren at all. But children who are not disciplined actually don't experience the love of their parents. Uh, but discipline and correction and learning and growing is scary if you don't know that you're loved. So when we have the security of being deeply loved, we can change and grow because uh, we're safe in the Father's um, approval. And it's not we don't change because we have to. We change because we get to uh, and because we're empowered to by the Holy Spirit. And the last thought uh, around security is um, just that beautiful image from Psalm 23 where um, the psalmist says that you've prepared a table for me and in the presence of my enemies, even surrounded by all the stuff of life, by all the pressures, by all the fears, by all the accusations, you can take me to a place where in your security I can sit at the table and just be at peace with you. Now that, that's a good place to be. So, I might invite our worship, the worship team to come because I want to land this. Is that all right? Oh, yep. Yeah. That's, a, that's a Tim saying, actually, isn't it? You land things, don't you? Often it's a crash landing, but we won't Thanks for listening. Now we get to do the good bit. <coughs> now we get to have our own just few minutes of enjoying an encounter with the shepherd who's here. He's here. He wants to encounter us with his deep knowing, with his complete loving and with his absolute security. And so um, I'm just going to invite you uh, to close your eyes and to invite, we're going to invite the Holy Spirit to activate our imagination, our God-given imagination through which Holy Spirit speaks. So, Father, I'm asking that there will just be a grace for the Holy Spirit to activate and to draw our imagination, our thoughts, our spirits to attention, to actually receive from your shepherding love today. Just invite you to close your eyes. And just picture Jesus 
coming to you as shepherd. It's a beautiful claim he makes. I am the good shepherd. Just let him come to you. Maybe you can look up to him. Maybe you can see his eyes or hear his voice calling you by name and inviting you to follow him into green pastures. Just hear him as he invites you to lie down, to rest, to let go of some of the things that have felt heavy this week.